Uh, guess congratulations to all the graduates that got their undergrad or their master's or PhD done. For all of you that didn't graduate, yeah, that's right. For all of you that didn't graduate, I'm sorry that you still have to keep doing this. Enjoy your summer break. Um, speaking of summer break, we have an, a, a ridiculous amount of incredibly faithful college students. And I mean faithful. They, they saturate all areas of service from the, the kids area to setting up and tearing down. They help out a lot. And they are selfishly going home for summer. So um, that being said, uh, we have a sign-up sheet out there on the yellow table with a bunch of other stuff. Uh, if this is your home church, if this is where you decide to come on Sundays, we would really, 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 really love if you would actually help out in the kids' area, help out and serve in one of those so that we could alleviate the stress for poor Jess, who's doing it kind of by herself right now. Kids are taking over in there. I mean, who knows what's happening, just so you guys know. So, um, But please, join us in doing that. Um, okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 8. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will bring one to you. Uh, real quick, I want to tell you a story. I grew up next to this lady who was a, a, a cat lady. I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of cats, but that does not mean that I enjoy telling this story, just so everyone knows, okay? Um, I'm a dog person. But she, her dogs, she even had dogs, like they would live, like she'd have golden retrievers that lived to be like 22 years old. I mean, just ridiculously aged. It, she treated them better than I treat my kids. Um, and <laughs> anyways, a really, really great lady. She found this one cat fully shaven with carvings in it um, and, and laying on the side of the road. And its name was Kirby. And the thing about Kirby is that I was afraid of Kirby because he would just look at you and then like, you know, like whatever. Well, I grew up in the foothills and we had foxes up there and I saw a number of times foxes would kind of take advantage of cats and use them as meals. And so, um, however, this cat was an outside cat and the foxes didn't go near it, okay? And uh, this cat also, like, we had do our dog liked to chase cats. My dog ran from this cat. Like, this cat had something weird about it. Now, what I'm about to tell you, you're not going to believe it. In fact, my wife didn't believe it as well, but then there is truth to this, I promise. Um, I have seen this lovely cat, Kirby. You would, I'd house sit and I'd have to stay over there and I'd wake up in the middle of the night with it on my chest just staring at me. I'd be like, ah, like, don't eat me. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, anyways, um, I've seen this cat get run over twice. Both sides, thump, thump, and then get up and run off and be perfectly fine, okay? Twice. My brother, brother and I once, me by myself once. Um, another time, we saw this cat, um, we heard, a, have you ever heard a cat cry? Sounds like a baby cry. Well, um, Carol just had a baby, and so we hear this crying, and my brother and I are walking, we're like, they're right next door, like, what is that crying? Like, is, is Jolie crying? So we go running over there, and as we're running down the, the driveway, we're like, stop, and we look, and we see um, two legs and a tail at the top of the garage, just kind of sitting there, and like a little bit of urine had come down the side, and so the cat was on the roof and tried to get into the garage when it closed and didn't make it. And so we're like, ah, well, she left the door unlocked, and we went inside the house and, and went inside, and although the tail was going like this really slow, and inside it was going like this really fast trying to get out, and so we opened the garage, perfectly fine, little bladder infection, no problem. And then a few months after that, um, Carol calls uh, my mom, just freaking out, or calls her house like, I, you won't believe what happened. I'm in, where are you? I'm in Banks, Idaho. Um, Kirby's with me. And we're like, what? Well, Kirby had made it hanging on to the bottom of the car to Banks and just scrape, you know, scrape the back of this cat. Like, this cat just did not die. Like, I, I swear, it wouldn't die. It lived forever, okay? And, and when it did finally die, you know what happened? Is it, it, I had to tear, she had a single level porch on the back of her thing. We had to tear it up because of a horrible smell. Kirby had decided that when he was going to die, he was going to die underneath there right out the back porch and stink. So, so, we, so that's the cat. Now, here's the thing about the story. 
I told Jen this when we first started dating, and she laughed, and <laughs> that's not really true. And then there was, like, you know, a few months later, we were sitting at a barbecue at my parents' house and just kind of talking about cats, and somehow Kirby came up, and my parents and my brother started telling the story, and I remember Jen after, she's like, wait, that's true? That really happened? I'm like, yeah, all that stuff happened. We're not making this stuff up. I swear it happened. And here's the thing about the miraculous and the amazing. Most of us have a story like that. We have something in our lives that's been like, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, I know they say cats have nine lives. Well, I witnessed about five of them on Kirby. So um, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to happen. And if you look, if you're on Facebook or whatever, they have those videos where someone does amazing stuff or like throwing a football all the way down to a basketball hoop from the top of a stadium or taking a dirt bike and doing silly, crazy things. I always wonder, if you're into dirt biking, please tell me this, how many broken bones do you get before you get the landing one that's on the video? I always wondered that. But there's all these miraculous things. And here's the problem even with the miraculous in videos is that I instantly, when I see it on a video, I go, yeah, you know what, computer graphics and editing. And you just can't trust what you see on the TV or in the internet anymore. You know, it's not like back in the day when everything was true on it, whenever that happened, right? Like, <laughs> the point is, the point is that miraculous things happen and they're unexplainable. We see, we see miraculous things in, in um some of you will say, I've seen, I've seen God's hand in my finances and miraculous. I've seen God's hand in, in this. You say, I've seen um, ridiculous things where someone did something one time and it was, it was crazy on a slack line. I've never seen anyone do it. Or, or we're out skydiving and this happened or bungee jumping or rock climbing or, or mountain biking. I can't believe they didn't die. It was amazing. And, and we all have experienced it. And here's the thing. When you experience it for yourself, it's as true as true as day. Now, now I'm pretty sure on Kirby like, that all those things are true. But you know how, like, sometimes when, I'm pretty sure, but you know how sometimes the story gets bigger as time goes on? You know, like, the, it was like, you know, it was a semi, and there was 18 wheels that hit it every single time, you know, when it was really a Volkswagen, you know, or whatever. Like, you kinda, it kind of embellished, whatever. But either way, so the problem is that most of us, I believe it's true, and so then when I share the story, someone's like, no way, it's not, no, I swear, it happened. It happened, I swear. And you kind of defend it, and you kind of go in that place. Well, here's, here's the problem with miraculous things, is that, is that there's a line in anything crazy, in anything good, in anything miraculous. There's a line. I believe that or I don't believe that. There's the, uh, you, you can kind of sit back and say, yeah, maybe it did or maybe it didn't happen, but really you're just saying you didn't believe it. You didn't believe that happened. And the reason why this is important is because, surprise, surprise, it took us quite a while, but we're done with the Sermon on the Mount in, in the book of Matthew. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've seen these first few chapters, what, what Jesus, or what Matthew's been doing is he's, he's been laying out Jesus' Messiahship. Okay, and so we see, we see that he is, he is um, he's establishing his Messiahship. So he has his legal qualifications through the genealogy. And so we see that his legal qualifications are there because he, here's the genealogy all the way back to this king, and therefore that way, that's why Jesus is king. And then we see his, his, um, his, his prophetic qualification in the sense that everything that happened in his birth was fulfillment to prophecy. And so Matthew laid it out completely in that way. And then, and then we have his divine qualifications. You know, we see this moment where, where God from heaven opens up and the, and the doves descend while Jesus is getting baptized. He's like, this is my son. I always think Morgan Freeman's voice. I don't know why. But, and, and they see this happen. And so it's like this divine calling where God is saying, this is my son. I am pleased with him. And so we see his divine qualifications happening through his baptism. His spiritual qualifications happen by perfect defeat of the temptation of the devil. And so he's spiritually strong enough to, to defeat the devil in, in dire straits, being really hungry and really thirsty, and, and, and defeat him through Scripture and truth. And then we see his theological qualifications in the Sermon on the Mount. 
gets up and, and waylays. He doesn't quote the Talmud or, or any, of the, any of the ceremonial or any of the books that the rabbis did. He doesn't quote other Bibles or any, any other rabbis. He quotes Old Testament scripture, and then he equals it to his words as well. And so we see his theological qualifications. And now that we've come out of the Sermon Mount, we're in chapter 8, and it's kind of a, a continuation of chapter 4, where chapter 4 ends and says he's gone in all the areas healing and doing these things, and, and then the Sermon on the Mount book ends in the middle, and then this section hits. And now what Matthew's doing is, I think, is he's showing um, his divine power in these next two chapters. So Matthew's going to lay out, he's going to say, okay, if he's Messiah and all of these other things, we see him in, in, his, in his genealogy, we see it all, he's qualified in all these things, now we're going to qualify him by his divine power. Now here's the issue with this set of scripture, is most of these stories you've heard, most of these stories you've read, and I can't help but think that a lot of you come to going, did that really happen? I mean, did it, did it really happen? We've had, we've had great theologians in the past that have tried to prove scientifically why certain things have happened. Like, here's how the Dead Sea probably turned red with this red algae. And, and I lo love their motives, and I love the reason to try and put science behind it. And science does point to Christ and, and God and all that. And I, I think that's great. But, but Jesus wasn't just a man. He was fully God. And so there are going to be moments, there's this pivotal moment at which we can say, okay, a man could do this, and now it's God. And man is incapable of doing this apart from God. God is the one that does that. And so what, what, Jesus, or what Matthew's doing right now, he's going to go in and say, look, not only is Jesus qualified in all these other things, look at the power he has. And so we get this in chapter 8 and 9. They're, they're in sections of 3. There's three groups of, there's nine total, three miracles each. And we're going to take each of those miracles kind of in sections or individually. But this week we're going to do 8, 1 through 17. We're going to hit three sections of healing. We're just going to kind of rip through them. Okay, so Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded you for a proof to them. Okay, so Jesus is coming down off the mountain, and actually this synagogue right here is second century in Capernaum, the city of Capernaum. Well, this is the synagogue that you can see right here. I was there. The stones right below it, you can see first century stones, and then behind here is the city of Capernaum, and this is where Jesus, the, the Mount of Beatitude, if you're facing it, was kind of up over this way, and so he came down, and this is the city. Most of the stories you hear about him in a synagogue, this is the synagogue. This is the second century version of the synagogue that he was doing this in. And so this is, so he's into Capernaum, and he comes down, and he's in a crowd, and this, this leper comes to him. Now, I did some, some research on leprosy, and it's, it's most common, like, the most ridiculous form of leprosy is most commonly considered Hansen's disease today. They're, they're the most equivalent. Leprosy at biblical time, the Bible was rampant with demonic stuff and, and, and illness all over, all over in this time. And, and the reason was, is there wasn't really any means to healing it. There was a bunch of dark black magic going on and people turning to some of the stuff from Persia and Syria. And there was this, this, this waylay of just, just filth and dirtiness and, and unhealthiness. And, and people were getting sick and it was very common to be sick and people didn't have any means at which to heal that sickness. They didn't really have anything good to kind of go, oh, well, here's your ibuprofen for a headache and here's, here's this shot to keep you from getting chicken pox. Or, they didn't really have any of that stuff. And so, so it was just rampant at this time. 
Now, leprosy could have been one of, they, they think, one of about eight different kinds of skin diseases. In fact, if you, ha- if, you are, if you have eczema today, they would have considered that to be a form of leprosy. You could have still been considered clean because you wouldn't have gone to those levels, but, but a leprosy, a leper, someone that is a leper that we see here that's defined by this, this term right here was someone that was at the extreme end of the disease. And leprosy, what it does is it kills nerve endings. And so a, a person was say, I was reading on it, like a kid that has leprosy could stand on a nail and not feel it at all. And so it's not really even that the leprosy necessarily kills you. It's the fact that all the other injuries and everything else that happen can, can take over. Your bones become brittle. Your voice changes. Your hair goes completely white. And you get pussy boils all over your skin and your face. And your, and your voice changes. You start sounding weird and you smell really, really bad. So leprosy was, was a terrible thing. And Leviticus law, had, Mosaic law, had a number of things that you were t- on how to engage with lepers and they weren't supposed to live in the cities. But then if you look at the Talmud, which is the rabbi's ceremonial laws and some of the extra laws they put in place to not fail the Mosaic law, they, they had extra things like a leper had to walk around and yell, unclean, unclean, just in case anyone's wondering, you can't see it on me, I'm unclean. And the rule was that every Jew around them could not be within six feet of them. And on a windy day, that went up to 150 feet. Like, could you imagine that? Wait, one, two, three. Oh, oh man, I got it, you know, running from them. But basically, they were ostracized. They weren't allowed to be in the city. They weren't allowed to come in contact with anyone. Dying, dying for affection and touch. And they were ostracized completely from people. They weren't allowed. In fact, the rules in the Talmud was that they could be, if they came into a city and didn't yell unclean, they could be stoned to death at that point. Everything they had and everything that they wore would be burned on the spot. It was a very, very serious offense. And what's most intriguing about this is that one of the first stories of healing we get is this one. Where, where Matthew brings up, of all the stories we get, of, of all the things that Jesus did and all the healing that he did, and which we'll see plenty more throughout the book of Matthew, he comes to this one, an outcast Jew. A person that in no way, shape, or form was right or allowed to come even close to Jesus. And the story begins with him having a crowd of people around him. Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders. People all around him and just just Jews that want to know more about it. Having all these people around him and, he, and this, this, this leper comes and kneels before him, showing his humility. Drops before him and says, Lord, if you will, if you will, heal me. If you will. He doesn't say, if you will, you can. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. It's not like, I hope you will or are you able to. It's like, if your desire is to do so, you will and are able to make me clean. And he does this in front of him. So Jesus somehow had something, an aroma about him, something where this leper had enough confidence to approach Jesus around a crowd of people not worrying about being stoned. So something in Jesus said, you know what? Even though you're an outcast by society, even though you're not welcome to be touched by anyone, even though you are supposed to be yelling, unclean, unclean, all the time so that no one comes by accidental close proximity to you, he felt safe to approach Jesus. And I think that's so intriguing for us today. See, because so many of us will sit in our sin and our shame and our guilt and we're like, I'm not worthy to go to Jesus. And we will wallow in it. And this leper knows he's not worthy. Owns it. I am not worthy. I'm not even allowed to come close to you. And he approaches Jesus in humility and says, if you will, God, you can make me clean. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus does something ridiculous. Leviticus 5 says that if you came in contact with a leper, you then were deemed unclean. 
And you had to go through this whole process of, of, of getting deemed clean through these seven days. And there's a whole book of what the law says, that what you had to do so that you could be reinstated into, into society. And you know what Jesus does? He reaches out and he touches this man. He touches him. He didn't have to touch him. A couple sentences later, we're going to figure out that he just says the word and they heal. But he reaches out and touches him. And he says to this man that's been clamoring for touch for who knows how long, I will, and you are. And he does it through physically touching him. Not to us, we're like, yeah, it's neat, he touched him, you know, whatever, that's cool. He, that was ridiculously radical for him to do it. And you know what I love about it is Jesus didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to. So let's put that to present day. My assumption is that you sit in your shame and you're wallowing, and, well, I'm already screwing things up anyways, and so I, I just got drunk again, or I can't keep sleeping with her, or I can't. And you kind of just, you try and run from God, and it's like Jesus enters into that disgusting mess and says, I'm still here. I will embrace you. Come to me. I can make you clean. I will it. I desire it. And he reaches out and touches this man. And he tells him not to tell anyone, which is an interesting thing. Jesus did this a lot, and there's a lot of reasons as to why he may have done it. Some of it was that I think um, Jesus wasn't, there was a specific time. Daniel 9 tells us that there's a specific date prophesied for the revelation to Israel where Jesus is Messiah, and he is the person. And this wasn't it. And so too much attention would draw to that. And, and here's the thing. Really, anyone can draw a crowd. And obviously, Jesus, in an area that has been clamoring for healing and been plagued by sickness, all of a sudden healing's happening, crowds are going to show up. And so Jesus, maybe he, the reason why he told him not to tell him was because he's like, I don't, I don't want the crowd. And although he engaged in the crowd, we saw him a number of times retreat from the crowd as well. And maybe he just told him that not to tell anyone because he, he knew that he had to make his way to, to Israel and take two pigeons and kill one of them and then spill the blood on the other one and send the blood off and do the seven more, do all the ceremony cleanses that if it got back to the leaders in Jerusalem that already didn't like Jesus, that maybe they would not deem him clean. So maybe that was why. But either way, he told him not to. And we also pick up from the gospel of Mark and Luke that he went around and told everyone. So he was very humble and, and, and faithful in approaching Jesus, but then was not very obedient afterwards, which I think is a lot of us as well. When you see we need God and then, ah, oh, forget what he said. Um, but anyways, the point is, is he gets healed and he says, he says, if you will, God, you can make me clean. And Jesus heals him. So then the second story is, is, is another one. And this is the centurion story. It's in, in verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and, and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say one go and he goes, and to another come and he comes. And to my servant do this and he does this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. We pick up from the Gospel of Luke and Mark that, that the centurion actually didn't come to them, but, but sent some Jewish people in his stead, which doesn't mean that these contradict each other. But in this time, if, you sent, if I sent someone to speak on my behalf, it was as if I was speaking. 
And so Matthew's just relating this story the same way. But what's interesting about the story is this is a centurion guard. This is a Roman guard who is, is over 100 people, 100 soldiers. And he, he is, he's, Roman is who the oppressors are to Israel. They're the ones that are over everything. And what's really interesting is that the centurion, we pick this up in the Gospel of Luke, the centurion is well-liked by the Jewish people in his community. In fact, the seven times we hear about a centurion guard, you know what we hear? Good things about him in the Bible, which is just interesting. That's free for you guys. Um, but we, we, get, we hear this, that, that he's well-liked. And what's even more interesting about the centurion and maybe proving why he's well-liked is that a slave to a, to a Roman, they had, they had writing in place that says if a slave isn't doing what they want, or what you want them to do, or doing what you think they should be doing, kill them. They're, just a, they're, like, a, they're like a gardening tool. Throw them away if they don't do what you want. They have no value, no nothing at all. And the, the word here, the slave, also is translated little boy. So it's likely that this boy was, was born into slavery and has been with him in that way. So his parents were slaves to the centurion, and now the boy is as well. And so this little boy, the centurion guard liked him and, and treated him way different than he was expected to. Like, just throw him out. He's, he's not useful. He's, he's, he's paralyzed and has a fever. Just get rid of him. The centurion says, no, I, I want to. And what he does is he comes to, he comes to Jesus in humility, again, and, and he sends people in humility. And he says to them, like, what I love about this is the centurion shows a number of things of his understanding of Jewish law. See, a, a Jew was not allowed to go into a Gentile's home. They weren't even allowed to, to, to work. In fact, some of the rabbis taught about this feast in the end days when Jesus finally came, or well, the, the Savior at the time, the Messiah came. They would be feasting at this massive table, eating this, this huge um, sea monster, the whale, or this huge elephant, and they'd be eating. And what they loved about it is that there would be no one around the table except for Jew. No Gentile present. And so this Gentile understood that Jesus wasn't supposed to, by his laws in place, by his laws, wasn't supposed to come, so that, hey, you don't need to come into my roof. Don't, don't even do it. But what, what's amazing is he said, you don't need to. And, and honestly, you can just do it. Like I'm, in a, I'm under authority. I have, I have Caesar who's over me and I say what I need to do and they have to do it for me because he says what I do. You're under authority like me. And he, he's, he's basically saying, obviously God is in this with you. You have what you need. Just tell what needs to happen and you can do it. You don't even have to see the boy. And you can heal him. And so he does it. He says, by your faith. And then Jesus kind of sticks this little section in here talking about the outer darkness, which is usually translated hell. And he talks about weeping and gnashing teeth, which is a continuous hardship. And here, here's the thing. Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And so we will at some point get to that actually later on in Matthew and talk about it. But, but here's, here's what's intriguing about this statement, what he's saying. Is that every Jew knew that they would be sitting at the table with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac and all the pillars of faith. They all knew that. They, they, they quote that scripture like, I can't wait to feast with them. And what Jesus is doing is, did you just miss what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount? I already told you, look, he just basically says, listen to me right now very clearly. Just because you're Jew does not mean you'll be in my kingdom. Just because you're a Jew does not mean. In fact, he goes further and says, many will be in the kingdom. As far as from the east is and in the west, many. And he, said, and he said, no one of Israel, no child of Abraham, no son of Abraham is the way the Jews saw it, has had faith like this Gentile man, this Roman officer who has oppressed your country. And so it's a really intriguing statement. But what we see is that Jesus says, all right, you know what? This guy's faith is so amazing in fact, it's so amazing that Jesus marvels at it. 
And I don't know if you ever sit and have these questions, but whenever, I had a mentor once tell me, whenever you see Jesus showing any form of emotion, you pay attention. And Jesus is marveling at this man's faith. And I, I started thinking, like, what, what in me have I done where Jesus would go, oh, oh, marvel, oh, Bren. And I thought, well, maybe that's something that we should work on. What if our lives actually believed, like, what if we believed that we could, we, could, we could live in a way that Jesus would marvel at our understanding of who he is? Maybe that would change things. What if you believed that Jesus could heal without even seeing? What if you, like, what would be different in your life if you believed that whatever circumstance and situation you were in, if you fully believed that he doesn't even need to see it? It's like, I have to say it and it'll happen. Instantaneous. We see um, later on in Matthew where um, these, all of these instances are immediate. We see Jesus healing immediately. We see later on in Matthew and some of the other Gospels that some of them were done in stages. So it, just so you know, that was also there. But this, the centurion says, I have faith you can and, and you don't even need to step foot in my house. You don't even need to see the boy. Just make it happen. And they did it. And then there's the third story. Matthew 8, 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's Isaiah 53 if you want to go back and read that. What's interesting, and just as a free side note, in Capernaum, um, if you like staring kind of where Mike is right here in the back, if you kind of look over his back right shoulder and go 150 yards, there's this math, massive hovering Catholic church over what would be what they believe is Peter's mother-in-law's house. And what's interesting about this, and this is just, again, free for you, the Catholics believe that Peter is the first pope, the first priest. Um, every single one of the Gospels calls this woman Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter was married. So that kind of ruins some of their thinking there. Just That's free for you guys there too. Um, but there's a church in, in, in Capernaum. And so Jesus, now we've, we pick up from the Gospel of Mark that a few people actually asked Jesus about her, but he was already headed there. So whether or not he saw her or someone was asking, either way, he just walked in and touched her hand. And, and what, I, what I really love about this story, like what I love about this story, first off, she was sick enough to be laying down. And here's the thing, people in this day were sick all the time and they didn't just get to take a sick day. You know, like, we're like, oh, my, my throat's a little sore. I think I should call in sick today. I got four that I need to use up before the end of the year. They didn't have that option. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't eat. They didn't live. They kind of had to work through sickness. So anytime we see someone biblically laid up because of sickness, it's probably a pretty big deal. This could have been malaria or some, something else in place. But what I love about this, what I love about this is all it says is a fever. She's laid up with a fever. And what I like about that is I like to kind of think that maybe it was, it was just a fever. Like she was, and fevers are bad. I had one a few weeks ago. And they're not fun. But she was laying with this fever, and, and Jesus comes in and touches her hand and heals her. And I like to think of that because it seems like a fairly small thing. Like a leper is someone obviously in need of touch and healing, and, and a paralyzed kid, obviously. Someone laid up with a fever, it kind of seems like you're bothering Jesus with a menial task in a way. And yet Jesus heals her. And what I think is the best thing ever, she gets up and makes him, you know, chicken pot pie. Like, I mean, seriously, like, have you thought about that? Like, she's laid down and feverish, and he's like, you're healed. And she's like, oh, great, what do you need? Can I take your shoes off? Do you need to let's do some laundry now? She instantly starts serving him, which I think is so interesting. 
And the reason why I think that's so interesting is because I think most of us want us to be healed from anything, whether it's a sin that we're entangled from, from an ailment or from anything else. We want to be healed mostly for so, uh, selfish gain. And this woman's healed. She's healed in an instant. She gets up and she, she serves on him. And then it tells us that the rest of the night, numbers of people are coming in. And some, some people think that the reason why it waited till the evening is because that was possibly a Sabbath. And so people are a little tentative of seeing Jesus do this work on the Sabbath. And so then the people come in by droves to bring people. And so he's at this house. And so, so Peter's mother-in-law is up and she's like making chicken stew for everyone and, and hanging out and, you know, doing their laundry, washing their feet, serving them. I think that's such a beautiful picture because here she is laid up and the instant she's well, she's like, I'm going to serve Jesus. Now, she says, it, it says served him. Now, obviously she's serving everyone there. But I, I can't help but think, how would our life be different if we realized that whatever ailment or struggle we're going through, our desire to be free from it isn't for selfish gain, but to serve the Lord? See, because if you believe that, then you'd also believe that through your ailment, you are to serve the Lord. And I think a lot of us, we want to be free from whatever ailment we're in so that we can serve the Lord. But sometimes he's saying, I want you to serve me right here. Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. So a lot of theories as to what that was. It was painful enough for him to plea for it. And God's answer is, my strength is perfected in your weakness. It's going to stay put. So we see different people were healed. And what's interesting is that the first three stories we see of this healing are we got a Jewish outcast that has no right even stepping foot into town or even being near another person. And that's the first story we get. A Roman centurion Gentile, you know, Jews, Jews, you know, had no desire to be with Gentiles. They, 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 they hated Gentiles. In fact, a lot of them were half-breeds because of the, them living and, and doing stuff with them. It's, that's just, you're, you're, you're a, the biggest outcast ever. And that's one who he heals. And then a, a, a woman related to one of Jesus' followers. And what's interesting about a woman is that there was, rabbis would pray this, and this is, this is they would pray, they'd thank God for being a son of Abraham. Thank God that I'm not a Gentile and thank God that I'm not a woman. That was a very common prayer every morning. They didn't view women in high esteem back then. But yet Jesus comes in, interacts specifically with the outcast, the oppressor, and the woman showing that I don't care. I don't care where you, what your upbringing is. I don't care where you're at. I'm in this no matter what. The requests were made in different ways. One was a request from a sufferer made in his own faith. The other one was a man for another on the faith. He says you don't even have to be there. And then the third one, like I said, was either, it was either some people like, hey, or he noticed at the same time. And then we see droves of people being brought to him through different varies of faith and healed in many different ways. Each, each healing was done differently. He used a forbidden touch for the first one. He, he, a spoken word from afar and a tender touch. And then Jesus used a bunch of other areas and what he did with all the other people that we see basically putting the point to that, that from all this we understand that physical healing is an area where God especially shows his sovereignty. And he does things as he pleases, not necessarily as men expect them. And so, so what do we do with this? What's, how, how does this apply to us? What do, what do you and I do with this today? And I, I think, I guess the first question is, do, do you believe that God heals? That's the first question. Maybe, maybe we need to go back to, do you believe that these are true? Because if you don't believe these are true, then you've got to go back to the last few things that Jesus has done for his qualifications. His genealogy, his divine 
appointment, his power, everything. Like, if you don't believe this, then let's go back to go, not collect $200 and start over with who Jesus is. Because the point is, is Jesus is, is Messiah. Jesus is king, he is Lord, and he's showing us he's healer. Do you believe that he can heal you? And see, some of us, we're not dealing with leprosy, paralyzation. Some of us are dealing with very, very, very real things. Real diseases, real hurts, real pains. Some of us are plagued by a relationship that's destroyed. We're oppressed by a, a friend who's now an enemy. Some of us are entangled with sin. We need healing from an emotional hardship. There's, there's healing, everything. And here's, here's what we can pick up from this. Jesus engaged at the, the, the smallest need, which is the physical. And he did that to, to show his power, and he did that to fulfill prophecy, and he did that, but here's, here's the thing. He's more concerned about healing you from sin than he is your physical ailments. He's more concerned that your spirit is free and you are deemed righteous before God by his blood than then you are free from whatever ailment you're going through. We see in this text how it's approached. God, if you will, I have faith you can do it. I don't, you don't even need to see him and so I can serve you more. So what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little crazy in here. You ready for this? I'm going to get a lie and you're going to come up in front and I'm going to hit you on the head and say, you be healed. Just kidding, I'm not doing that. You guys are like, whoa. No, um, not that that can't happen. But anyways, no. Um, we are going we're gonna, to we're gonna spend a little bit of time for healing. And now this, I'm going to disclaimer this. This is where the whack-a-moles come out. The healing, all right. You know, get some crazies out here going, let's do this. Um, but here, here's the thing I want to say. I want to be really clear. No man heals anyone. God does it. God chooses and allows us to do it through the hands of men and women, but God is the one that heals us. It is his power and his power alone. So if you're getting all excited about someone that has healing, you're like, man, I've been, I've been able to heal people and you're making it about you, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. That'd be like me getting up here going, you guys don't hear the Bible at all well until you hear it from me because I'm so awesome. I missed the point. It's not about me. It's not about whoever does the pray for healing, but we're going to pray for healing. Now here's, here's another disclaimer. Uh, James tells us that when we pray for healing, we ask that a righteous person do it, someone who is in right standing with God, who is in a spiritually strong spot, um, and it also says to confess your sins. See, some of you have been asking for healing. You've been, God, heal me from this, heal me from this, heal me from this, while you are walking in sin. And God's saying, give me everything. Surrender to me. Surrender to me. And so some of you, it means you're going to have to confess some stuff. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, and, and I was amazed by the response and, and overwhelmed by God's work in the first service. And so don't let me down, people. Just kidding. That's a guilt trip. Um, <clears throat> is that um, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, not the individual, that does this. And, and my assumption in a room this size and what we heard in first service and because of who I know is here, um, some of you have some, some horrifying physical ailments and we've been praying for him. I'm going to ask you to have faith to keep praying, to not give up. Um, some of you are stuck in sin. You just, you just can't, can't get out of it. We had some that stood up and said, I don't know if I've ever fully surrendered my life to Jesus. 
And here's, here's what I know. If you are stuck in fear of getting out of your seat, then your reputation among men is more important than your identity in Christ. If you are stuck in disbelief that he can't heal you, then you don't know the Jesus that we're talking about here in the Bible. And so I would challenge you. I would challenge you. I would encourage you to go back. We have um, men and women that are accountable, that are, that are good people, that have an understanding on how to pray for healing. Um, that will be back in that area back there to pray. And we're going to do two songs. And if you are sitting here like, man, I don't feel like I need anything to pray or healed, then I would encourage you as you sing either worship or you spend some time in prayer for the people that are, that are standing back there. And here's what else I know. Sometimes we pray and it doesn't happen. Sometimes we pray and it's like, God, take this ailment, take this pain from me, and it doesn't go away. And I love, I asked a friend of mine, and she told me this morning when her and her mom would always pray, and I'm going to butcher it because it was so eloquent how they said it, but she said, our days are numbered. What you're going through does not in any way confuse our God. It doesn't. He's not like, going, oh, man, I totally missed it. How, how are they there? Oh, man, I got to get in the game here. Your days are numbered. And you will not leave this earth until it is time. And so sometimes we need to pray for the miraculous. God, take it and heal me right now. And sometimes his process is waking you up the next day. And ultimately healing will become when you come free and home with him. Now, if you're sitting here going, I don't want to go back there and pray for healing because if God doesn't do it, I just don't know if I'll still have faith in him. God is not scared by you not having faith in him. He's not shaken by that. He's not going, oh no, I hope they still like me. He is God. He's in control. He knows where you're at. He knows your circumstances and he knows what you need. And sometimes what you need isn't always what you want. But all that being said, I think that we need to be praying for the miraculous and stop pretending or giving God an out as if like, well, you know, God, if you don't want to do it, it's okay. Like, no, God, if you will, do this. I want this for this person. There's nothing wrong for praying for that. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing at the same time. Um, I'm going to just say this. Some of you right now are getting a little anxious. You're like, oh, I don't know. Should I do this? Should I not? And you're, you're getting a little stir in your stomach. You're like, what if something doesn't happen? My encouragement would be to you that if you, are a if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in stirring you and you need prayer. Get out of yourself and go get some prayer. Some of you, your marriage is falling apart and you're too proud to say you need help and too proud to allow God into the process. Some of you, you just keep running to that same sin over and over and over again and you don't believe that God is power powerful enough to rip that from you to free you from that. So as we spend these next couple songs praying, again, those of you that aren't going to get up, that's fine. doesn't mean that everyone has to. I would just implore you, plead you to be praying for those that do, praying for God to do an amazing thing. And in the end, um, we'll, we'll get some more stuff afterwards. But, but in the end, I would also encourage you to not s stop praying today. And God asks us to continue to come to him. He, he, he aligns himself as our father who wants to give us good things. So maybe you need to be 
on your hands and knees a little bit more. Maybe we need some calluses on our knees before God because we spent so much time there. Maybe for some of us, it's just time to stop pretending that we're following Jesus and we just need to finally surrender our lives to him. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for showing us uh, the miraculous. Father, thank you for the men and women that are in the back of the room ready to pray for healing. I pray right now that you prepare their hearts to hear what they're going to hear as I heard some really hard stuff. And I know that my heart breaks and your heart breaks, God. I know that I feel because you feel. And so I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you, God, that that every one of our days are numbered, that a bird doesn't fall from the sky that you didn't know about. God, that there are no mistakes. God, that you're faithful. I pray for healing. I pray for those in the room that, that are stirring right now. I pray that you give them the confidence to stand up. I pray for those that, that, that last service confessed that they've never surrendered. They told their, their spouse for the first time that they've never really followed Jesus. God, for those that, that are physically battling all the many, many diseases that prove that this world is broken in need of you. God, we pray for your work to be done for your glory alone, not for any one man or woman, but so that much would be brought to your name through Jesus Christ, through the power he's given us through his Holy Spirit. And I pray as your spirit moves, we get out of the way. We pray all this in the Father, the Son who died perfect life for us and sacrifice and blood for us and the Holy Spirit that compels us and leads us to be more like Jesus today. Amen.